podcast. The Get Up and Get Going South Coast. It's time for the Tim Weisberg Show on WBSM. Also streaming live on WBSM.com and on the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message or a voicemail through the WBSM app. And now, ready to start your day off with a bang. It's Tim Weisberg. Welcome back in third and final hour here on Tuesday. And even though it's Tuesday and not Monday, we're going to be doing something that we normally do Mondays at this time when we turn on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. And I, Jack, I don't think it's a coincidence here that, see, you timed this perfectly. This is why you wanted to move it to Tuesday this week, because right as we are about to go on the air with this segment, 8.05 a.m., is when I got this email, 8.05, from the Patriots Media Relations Department announcing the Rolling Stones return to North America, including a show at Gillette Stadium on May 30th, 2024. Well, I, I think I deserve complimentary tickets for that, given all the publicity. I'm going to let Stacey them. James over at, <laughs> over at the Patriots know about that. Just say, say, we got a guy here, his theme song is Shine the Light. And speaking of which... Could I think... And uh, we are going to be turning on the light with Jack, but did, did you say that you've never seen the Stones live? No, no. And by the time I get to see them, Mick Jagger's going to be with a cane. He's going to be swaggering across the uh, stage with a cane. Well, I don't know. Maybe we got to try to get tickets to the show in Absolutely. May. Absolutely. Let's see if we can pull it off. I know when they were coming around the last time, I had asked if we could get any tickets here. Because, you know, I was like, that's yeah. a perfect thing to give away. That's a perfect WBSM giveaway. And they turned us down. But, you know, maybe we can actually wait in line like normal people and order tickets and go. So I am so old that the first time I had a chance to see the Stones was at Manning Bowl in Lynn which is the old football stadium where Lynn Classical and Lynn uh, English High Schools used to play. I grew up in Peabody, which is right next to, to Lynn. And um, uh, the Stones, before they were like the Stones, you know, they were just sort of like, um, yeah, they're coming on, but it was really the Beatles and the Dave Clark Five. And the, the Stones were starting to come on, and they were at Manning Bowl and Lynn. I don't know if that was the last time they played a city the size of Lynn. Well, I'm a big uh, Dave Clark Five fan, too. I would have liked to have gone to see them. <laughs> But the the Stones in, in Foxborough have a long history. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was the Steel Wheels tour, if I remember right. I think they had a, a live Fox broadcast from Sullivan Stadium, or might have been Foxborough Stadium by then. I, I I think if anybody can talk us in, Tim, you you could do it. <laughs> well, uh, my connections with the Patriots aren't what they used to be, uh, since I don't cover the team anymore. But you know, I'll I'll make sure I try to get us some tickets. Usually they go on sale at 10 a.m. Yeah. And that's just in time for me to get off the air, get ready, be sitting by the computer with my credit yeah. card, and we'll see what we can pull off. Yeah. But interesting to see what they're like in, the, in their 80s. So, I, yeah, oh, absolutely. I saw them when they were in their 60s, and they were great. Uh, thanks to KKB, our former station here. I won tickets. Uh, so you and I can certainly go and see the Rolling Stones together. Two people I don't think that will be going to see anything together anytime soon are Councilors Ian Abreu and, and Council President Linda Morad. You know, I was thinking that, you know how they had that big summit last week between President Biden and President Xi Jinping mm -hmm. of China? 
maybe we need to have a summit between Councillor Abu and Councillor Morad because the bad blood has been there for so long. And, you know, you talk to one side and it's all the other side. You talk to the other side and it's all the other side. You know, I, I just think if we can try to get China and the United States to get along, we can try to get Councillor Morad and Councillor Abu to get along. So let, let's boil it down a little bit uh, for those of us who missed it, including myself. So what was the... The, the crux of all of this. So I, I was not at the meeting, so i put that out front. And I heard about this afterwards from uh, people who started calling me, and then I started to hear it on WBSM on both Chris and Barry's shows, uh, that there was um, uh, usual um, interactions, you know, um, I don't know if there was rudeness or what, but between um, uh, Gilly Safiolis and Carlos Felix. And then I heard that counselors Morad and... Um, Giesta were, 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 were videotaping with their cell phones, um, uh, the activists. And I think at some point, I guess it was Gilly who went over to talk to Ian Abreu, who was also talking to Ryan Pereira and there was a, a, a second counselor, I forget. And I guess people were coming and going at the council seats as they do. And, and then after Safiola's, now I, I have only got, um, Abu's version, which I heard on, on Chris's show, I don't have the um, the version that Linda has, except to say that his version is false. Um, that that she said to him something to the effect of "See you soon, Counselor A," blah blah blah, and um, he got very upset about it. He said his none of the counselors had ever seen him turn so red. He was so upset to have this going on in the council chambers that he got up and left. I guess they were in the period between the property committee meeting, which had concluded, and I think it was the ordinance committee. I think it was appointments and briefings, wasn't it? Well, it was a second committee meeting that was going to start. I, I thought it was ordinance, but I could be wrong. And so he, he missed that entire committee meeting because he was so upset. And the way he explained it was, I felt that the, that, that the dysfunction in the council was so bad that it was better for me to leave because I was so upset. You know, when you're that when you're that angry, and I think all of us have, have been there. You know, it's better to take yourself out of the situation than to make it worse by by staying. Now, uh, to be fair, Councillor Morad has an entirely different version. She said that that um, when she was on my on uh, when I was filling in for you on Friday, she did not want to talk about it. She did not, did not want to give it any oxygen, which I understand. Um, but at the same time, she said it was not true, but didn't really say how it was not true. And so, you know, if, if she chooses to talk about it at some point, we'll get the other side, you know. If not, but beyond, you know, the he said, she said, and who was right and who was wrong, there is this bad blood. And, you know, you, you had bad blood last year between Councilor Morad and the mayor. They seem to have worked out a lot of that. Um, there's bad blood between uh, Councilor Morad and Councilor Abreu. I, I do think she's a common ingredient in that, but I, I don't really care to a certain extent, you know, it's sort of like China and the United States, China and Russia, um, uh, Israel and Palestine. It, 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 you can have each side argue, you know, lots of good reasons why the other side is wrong. In the end, we need peace. We need the council to, to, to function cooperatively. We need people to work together with people who they may not like personally, but the, and they may disagree on all their policies, but they have to work together. She's taken shots at him before here on the station. 
So when she's been on with me, she's talked about, you know, I know in the past, you know, the my predecessor would talk to you about sports or other things, like, and, and she's put it in a derogatory way. She did it when she was in with Chris last uh, last week. So she, she did the same thing. She made a comment about, you know, the, the way that he, about, about her predecessor. And, and she I, often does it without naming him by name. Right. But everybody knows well, but, who she's talking and, about. But that's part of their thing is they don't talk about each other. They yeah. don't name. And that's what I find to be disingenuous. If this is true, is, you know, your public, your public faces, we're not going to talk about other counselors, but yet you're taking digs and then also making comments and, like that. And, and everybody knows who you're talking about. I, I mean, so it's, it's having it both ways. It's, it's getting to make the dig and saying, I didn't make the dig. Um, you know, I, I mean, I... I um, you know, I think both of them are, are very good counselors, above average counselors. I tend not to agree with Counselor Morad. I tend to agree with Counselor Abu more often. But I, there's lots of counselors I, I disagree with that I respect, you know. Um, counselor Carney is a counselor I, I rarely agree with. And she is one of the most easy interviews, uh, pleasant people to talk to, you know, no matter what I, I criticized her for. So I, I do think that, that people just need to get past this you're my enemy and get into the frenemy um, uh, uh, area where they can be courteous, talk to that other person and they may find, you know, I, I mean, from all reports, Councilor Morad and the mayor got along a little better this year. And so I think if you begin to talk and you, maybe you even have a meeting where you say, this is what bothers me about you. And the other side says, this is what bothers me about you. And, and, and you go forward. But I, I don't think it's in the city's best interest for these two to be at war. And you know? dysfunction is okay until dysfunction gets in the way. And if you have a counselor who is leaving meetings because they feel like they can't sit in that meeting anymore because of that dysfunction, now it's become a problem. Now it's gone beyond just being an interpersonal issue, and now it's ramped up to the point where it's in, interfering in city business. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I will say, you know, in the media's interest, um, uh Councillor Abreu, even when I don't agree with him, he takes my calls, you know, and he patiently, you know, I, I, I rarely convince him, but he's, he's always pleasant. I have to say, there are certain counselors when they don't agree with me, they just don't call back. I guess they think because I'm going to not agree with them anyway, so why waste their time? Or maybe I'm going to say something that is critical, but that's my job, actually. So, you know, uh, uh, I, I think that I just think we have to take the personal vendettas out of of uh, New Bedford politics. Well, we've got a few weeks to figure it all out before they, you know, start the 2024 council season and they elect a president for next year. And who knows how that's going to go. But uh, it'll be it'll be fun to watch from the sidelines for us. Yeah. Yeah. So. so Again, that, you know, as long as, you know, those things have been going on for a long time, as long as they're not getting in the way of the business, now if it's reaching that point, uh, something yeah. has to be done. Yeah. I will say that in Councilor Morad's defense, she did, when I was sitting in for you, and she knows I'm a critic of her, she agreed to come on, and, mm -hmm. and she took all my questions, and we talked about the things that were on her mind also. Uh, it was a very good conversation, I thought. So I think it is possible. I, I You know, I, I just think I'd like to see her get to that point with Councilor Abu too. So let's let's shift gears a little bit back to uh, some one of your topics that you've been hot on for for a while now is the Star Store, and you had a column about how UMass Dartmouth leadership has lost all credibility, and it's the fact that we talked about this before. Those numbers, the maintenance numbers, are not accurate. 
that um, the numbers that they were putting out as what it would cost to maintain that building were far inflated uh, to basically to make it sound like it's worse than it is. Yeah. And as you're saying now, how can you trust any kind of leadership of a school that, that does something like that? Yeah, I think we have a real problem here. We have an academic institution that is putting out numbers that lack credibility. I had written columns for a while now that I didn't see how these numbers added up, and UMass Dartmouth was not able to give me any convincing explanations. But our reporter, Colin Hogan, uh, last week wrote a, a great story where he actually went and, through a public records request, got the, um, the state's numbers for the cost of renovating the Star Store. And are you sitting down? They were seven million dollars versus seventy-five million. That's a big difference. And then he um, had um, Mark Champagne, the city's facilities manager, who knows a lot about these kinds of things, walk through the Star Store with him. And he said, even if you did all the bells and whistles, everything you could possibly do to make the building perfect, he thought about seventeen million dollars, which is still a long way. Now, the seventy-five million dollar figure turns out to have been something that was no study, no estimate from a contractor, just a conversation that Chancellor Mark Fuller had, had with the Division of Capital Asset Management, the state bureaucracy that governs buildings. Now, they say it's because the state has adopted these green standards that make everything have to be done according to uh, sustainable energy, and that makes everything much more expensive. Well, okay, but even so, you don't have firm t statistics on how those numbers would be realized, and also they don't have to all be realized at once. And they're willing to spend this kind of money on the, on the Dartmouth campus, but not on the New Bedford campus. And there may be some, ex uh, some exclusions in that because of the historic nature of that building. And some solutions. I think one of the key things is that when Chancellor Fuller, two weeks before classes were to begin, announced that he was closing at Lock, Stock, and Barrel, he didn't give Senator Montigny a heads up. He didn't give Mayor Mitchell a heads up because Mayor Mitchell says, and Senator Montigny says, we would have worked it out with you. We would have found some funding. We would have... Um, Maybe transfer the building to the city or to a nonprofit where UMass is not responsible, but is just a lessee, a lessee, like they have been to Paul Downey. He didn't call them. Even since it's happened, he hasn't wanted to work with them. They want out. UMass Dartmouth does not want to run a, a, a call, uh, an arts college in downtown New Bedford. I've explored it. It seems to have something to do with this obsession that some people on the campus have about having a grand campus all in Dartmouth where everything can interact with each other, which a lot of campuses don't work that way. UMass Amherst itself just bought Mount Ida College halfway across the state. Harvard University has Harvard Medical School, which is a long way from Harvard University in Cambridge. It's in the Longwood section of Boston. Uh, even Harvard Stadium is across the river in Austin. These kinds of obsessions, I think, really betrays... Um, an attitude towards the urban centers. And, you know, Chancellor Fuller will say, oh, well, we have the, the um, Labor Education Center. The Labor Education Center is a storefront. It's a couple of rooms. That's what the Labor Education Center is. I mean, the, the most insulting part of it, Tim, to me, is that he keeps coming up with these rationales as if we're all stupid. And Marty Meehan, the president of the university system, keeps backing him. And Governor Healy keeps, keeps backing them. So I, I, I don't know. Uh, Senator Martigny and, and Mayor Mitchell don't evidently have the political influence that Biff McLean once had, that um, even Bill Strauss still has on transportation issues. They just, they, I, I'm just flabbergasted that this has been done. The students have been treated like roadkill, and 
That's what we asked. I went on long. No, no, no. I'm just keeping an eye on the clock. I, I think that that is, that's really the crux of this whole thing, is that Chancellor Fuller just thinks he's the smartest guy in the room in this situation. And that's why he's just going to say anything and hope that something sticks. Yeah, and I, and I think this predates Fuller. I think that there are some attitudes among the administration and the long-term faculty up there that, that, that they are working fuller on this, that, you know, that they, they just have this, you know, this attitude that, you know, main campus, they always call it the main campus. Instead of the Dartmouth campus, the SMAS campus, the Fall River campus, they call it the main campus. You know, I, I think a little bit too much the main campus. Like, you know, they, they, they just seem to be obsessed with that. And I don't know why, because certain schools happen to be in different communities, they're any less a major part of the university. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, do they have the same feeling toward UMass Law? That they, they do. They want to bring UMass Law on, you know, onto the main campus. Hmm. Well, I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty good-sized footprint to have to find space for over there. Yeah, they, 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 they have a build-out. I ran the map with my last column, and the build-out just sort of doubles the buildings that are on that, that old Westport Road campus. I mean, they, they, they did say in their master plan 2017, which didn't mention the Star Store at all, by the way, that supposedly needs all this work. Um, I mean, mentioned it, but said it, said it didn't need any work for the next 10 years. That's what it said in the 2017 master plan, um, that, that they could study whether there was enough room to expand the law school at its current campus um, on Fawns Connor Road, but that they, could all, they also had a drawing where they had pencil, they had drawn, they had drawn in where they would build the law school on the main campus hmm. and build a second CVPA building, College of Visual and Performing Arts building, build a second CVPA building on the main campus while saying that, that on the one hand, that the star store doesn't have any needs for the next 10 years, and the other hand saying it's so expensive we can't possibly maintain it. Well... <sighs> <laughs> a lot of smoke and mirrors there happening with that. We've got to take a break. When we come back, we will be turning on the light. More with Jack Spillane, 508-996-0500. We'll be right back. <clears throat> All right, we're going to be turning on the light some more with Jack Spillane coming up after the news. Jack, have you ever seen Trans-Siberian Orchestra? I have not seen them, but I'm a big fan of them. They'll, they're playing Saturday in Worcester at the DCU Center. We've got four packs of tickets that we are giving away. All you have to do is go to WBSM.com or the WBSM app, and you can get yourself a four-pack of tickets to go see Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Well, you can enter to win, rather. We'll select the winners a little bit later on today. We want to make sure we give people time to enter because we did just kind of put it up yesterday. It's just one of those things where sometimes we're going to have contests that we weren't planning on having. And you yeah. know what? If we can give stuff away, I want to. They have done some great Christmas albums uh, that are, if you want to get out of the regular Christmas music mode and listen to something Christmassy, but it's just entirely different. It's like a rock orchestra. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's amazing the work that they do. And uh, if you're a fan, you will want to try to win those tickets. If you win those tickets and you've never heard them, you'll be a fan after you go there and you see them. And it won't be Christmas until you hear some TSO. So if you want to enter to win, go to WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Uh, we've got multiple four packs of tickets to give away so you can try to win yourself some of those. We'll also bring some over to the event tonight at Knuckleheads and we'll be doing some giveaways there as well. Right now, though, it is time to go into the newsroom and get all the big headlines of the day. Oh. My fault, Ariel, I had the wrong screen up. If you want to come into one of my rejoins, that's fine too, but I think you'd rather come in to the news music. 
The Thanksgiving holiday rush is underway at airports across the nation. An estimated 30 million travelers are expected to pass through the nation's airports by the end of this week. The TSA is urging travelers to remember it's better to be prepared this Thanksgiving than years prior since recent contract agreements have led to a nearly 2% increase in staffing levels. The White House is working to secure the release of hostages held by Hamas in Gaza. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby, however, told reporters more work needs to be done to broker a deal between Israel and Hamas. This comes amid news reports negotiators are nearing a deal to release some of the hostages taken during the October 7th attack on Israel. President Biden also told reporters Monday he believes a deal is close. More than 200 people were taken hostage by the militant group last month. House Speaker Mike Johnson is meeting with former President Trump. After recently making his endorsement of Trump for 2024 clear, the two met on Monday night. Johnson broke with his predecessors, Kevin McCarthy, by endorsing Trump as McCarthy declined to back a candidate in the GOP primary while he served as Speaker this year. Johnson told CNBC he was all in for President Trump, which comes after Trump seemed to endorse Johnson on Truth Social last month. Elon Musk's AX is suing Media Matters for America for defamation, alleging they defamed the platform following a report that said major brand ads appeared next to posts touting Hitler and the Nazi party. Musk and X have faced backlash since the report was published Thursday, causing several major advertisers to pull ads from the platform in response. Filed in a U.S. district court in Texas, the lawsuit claims Media Matters manipulated the platform. California researchers are expanding their mission to find aliens. The Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence Institute in Mountain View was just given a $200 million grant to see if they can determine whether there's any form of life beyond Earth. The most talked about game in college football this week is not surprisingly the most expensive ticket. Tickets to Saturday's Ohio State-Michigan game in Ann Arbor are currently going for the most of any Week 13 game. The price for a single ticket on Vivid Seats has reached as high as $632. It's also the most expensive ticket for a Michigan home game in 14 years. In more sports, the Patriots have yet to officially name a starting quarterback for this week. Second-year signal caller Bailey Zappi finished New England's game against the Colts after starter Mac Jones was benched. The Pats will visit the New York Giants Sunday afternoon at MetLife Stadium. The Celtics saw their six-game winning streak come to an end after falling to the Charlotte Hornets 121-118 in overtime. Jason Tatum led all scorers with 45 points to go along with his team-high 13 rebounds for a double-double. Peyton Pritchard chipped in with 21 points and six rebounds off the bench. Boston will host the Milwaukee Bucks tomorrow night at TD Garden. And the Bruins fell 5-4 to the Tampa Bay Lightning in overtime at Amali Arena. Paval Zaka, David Pasternak, Johnny Beecher, and Charlie Coyle each found the back of the net for the Bruins. Tomorrow night, the Bruins will visit the Florida Panthers. Now let's take a look at your local forecast with ABC6. Good to be with you, everybody, on this Tuesday morning. Very chilly out there with plenty of sunshine. Don't be fooled by that bright sunshine. Temperatures in the mid to lower 20s. Wind chill values in the upper teens. As we head into the afternoon, increasing clouds. Temperature once again below average in the 40s. Overnight, rain moves in, extending into tomorrow with strong gusty winds. Improves by late tomorrow to give way to a beautiful, dry, and sunny Thanksgiving. Be sure to watch ABC6 for my full seven-day forecast. From the ABC6 Weather Center, I'm meteorologist Ceci del Carmen on New Bedford's News Talk Station, 1420 WBSM. 
I'm Ariel Dorsey for WBSM News. Stay up to date with New Bedford's news talk station, WBSM, and get breaking news alerts with the WBSM app. All right, welcome back in. We are turning on the light with Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light. Before we get back into the discussion, though, Jack, so for you, what meat makes it Thanksgiving? What What is the featured meat that you want to see on Thanksgiving? Well, I'm a turkey fan. A lot of people don't like turkey. I, I, I like it a lot. Um, I, my, Do you like other things along with the well, turkey? So other? My family's recipe is um, a uh, stuffing that has Italian sausage in it. And uh, it's a great recipe. And so I'm kind of spoiled because no other stuffing that I've ever had measures up to this Italian sausage um, stuffing that I grew up with. Uh, my mother was Italian. So, uh, uh, you know, we didn't have all that much Italian food because my father was Irish and his stomach couldn't take most <laughs> of it. I was going to say, yeah, he probably couldn't <laughs> handle that. But uh, uh, so I grew up with that stuffing and that's something, and my sisters still make it. So um, that's something that I look forward to. Some people, I mean, everybody, you know, knows the turkey, but some people don't like turkey. Some people go with a prime rib. Some people like a ham. Some people like a lamb. Yeah, yeah. All of that stuff is available at the butcher shop. They have it all there for you. If you're going to cook it yourself, they've got it ready to go for you. If you want to have Eric cook it for you, well, I would get in your order today so you can make sure that you can have it and be able to pick it up in time for your Thanksgiving meal. They are going to make it easy for you so that you can spend more time hanging out with the family and less time in the kitchen working on everything. Or maybe you're somebody who is just going to celebrate by yourself or just you and your you know, you're a significant other and you don't need to have a big elaborate meal. They can make platters for you and have those ready to go. So you don't have to worry about all that cooking and all that extra leftover stuff that you're not going to be able to do anything with. You can get just enough for the two of you and enough for some sandwiches the next day. And uh, all of that is available at the butcher shop. In addition, they have everything else that you need to put together your Thanksgiving meal, including the most important part of the meal. No, not the turkey. I'm talking about that bottle of wine that you want to have at the table during Thanksgiving. They have the wine cellar there where they have everything from a $5 bottle of wine all the way up to a $500 bottle of wine. It all depends on how much you like your family or how much you need to avoid your family uh, <laughs> with what you decide to get. It's all there at the butcher shop, 123 Dartmouth Street in New Bedford. Stop on by, talk to Eric, get yourself the meat that you want to feature and all the other things that you need or have him do it for you. And, you know, as somebody who spent so many years cooking, uh, my favorite part about Thanksgiving is I get to go to somebody else's house and have them do all the work. So let the butcher shop do the work for Nothing you. Nothing wrong with that. More, more and more people are not having turkey, I've noticed. Yeah, they are. And, you know, more and more people, too, are not cooking anything. They're, they're getting it made somewhere else. And they're willing to pay that premium to be able to not have to spend yeah. the day cooking. Yeah, I remember one, one year uh, uh, I got lamb from the, from the butcher shop at Easter. It was great. Yeah, they make fantastic lamb over there. And you know what's really great about, uh, you know, having different things for Thanksgiving and kind of setting your own traditions is maybe you want to have lamb on Thanksgiving. You're going to find that as opposed to when you're trying to get that turkey and everybody's out there like looking for that turkey last minute. So I know folks that will have something else on Thanksgiving and then they go get turkeys the day after Thanksgiving when they go on sale and then they'll have them like the weekend after. So I... I've always said, like, when I was married, I would always just say to my wife, 
You want to have turkey on Thanksgiving? Then you want to go buy a couple more turkeys? That's what we have a chest freezer for. Buy all you want. Because I like turkey. Yeah. I'll have it three or four times between now and Thanksgiving. I don't care. Uh, now and uh, Christmas, I don't care. In fact, I usually get a Thanksgiving toasted sandwich from D'Angelo <laughs> sometime yeah. this week leading up to Thanksgiving. One year, uh, uh, just me and a friend, I, I sauteed uh, turkey breasts. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were great. Okay. Have you ever tried the... Uh, the smoked turkey or the friolated turkey or any of those other ways of making it? I have not done that. My, my biggest uh, friolated turkey remembrance is two, three years ago, I guess now, where uh, that triple-decker um, uh, in the Hicks-Logan area burnt down as someone was trying to fry a turkey on the back porch. Yeah. My, my brother-in-law smokes, smokes a turkey. So they'll, they'll roast a regular one, and then they'll also smoke one. And uh, so they're hosting Thanksgiving this year. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. He also just uh, he also just bagged a deer the other day. So there might be some venison on the yeah. table too. People people swear by that fried turkey. Uh, uh, never been a thing in my family. Yeah, no, I like it just the way it is. So as we're talking about you know things that we like, let's talk about things that we don't like, and that is hate crimes and hate speech and hate incidents. And Colin Hogan has been doing some uh, some great reporting on this and one of the things that I found fascinating by his previous piece that now he's got a piece up today about how Massachusetts is going to be uh, clamping down on these but I found the numbers that he put out in his previous column on this to be fascinating that there were and to find out the difference between what is a hate incident and a hate crime that just because it doesn't reach the level of somebody being able to be charged with a crime it's still considered a, a hateful incident and that those are on the rise too. Yeah, that, that first piece that Colin did a few weeks ago um, where they were leafleting um, a Buttonwood Park neighborhood uh, with white supremacist uh, literature, I was very distressed by that piece. And what bothered me about it was um, the fact that somebody thought that, that a New Bedford neighborhood was a good neighborhood to do this in, that, that they would find a, a good reception. That is what bothered me because I always think of New Bedford as a community where everybody you know, lives together and you have all these different groups, uh, you know, the, the Cape Verdeans, the Irish, the Latinos, the Polish, the Greeks, everybody uh, uh, gets, the Portuguese, of course, uh, everybody gets along fairly well. And to think that somebody um, uh, thought that, that New Bedford was a good place to do this really, really bothered me. Well, but I think that that is why they think that it is a good place, because they know that it is a melting pot of, of different peoples and that there is a very fringe element in the city. I'm sure there are, you know, people in the city that look at all that's going on and say, this isn't right. And they want to target those people and try to pull them into, into their mindset and into their organization. This um, NSC 131, which is just horrible, horrible group. They're trying to get people and recruit new members so I'm not surprised that they picked the west end of New Bedford as a place to go, a, a more upscale neighborhood, thinking that there might be some, you know, white men in that group that are in that area that are upset about the diversity that's coming into the city. Yeah. And, and, and as much as I think the city does uh, have a lot of diversity and, and a lot of uh, togetherness, there's no doubt that there is that element here. I think there's that element in any, any um, place in America. Uh, there are stories you hear that... Um, in the 1950s, the KKK was active um, in New Bedford, in a question, I think it was. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're not immune to it, but uh, I, I think that um, the best thing we can do is talk about it. And I, I, you know, I don't agree with Governor Healy on everything, 
but I think she's leading in the right direction on, on this one. I mean, we've had neo-Nazis in New Bedford as recently as during the Deval Patrick administration, because if you remember, I believe it was your reporting that when he came and spoke in New Bedford, there were neo-Nazis outside yes. protesting. I'll never forget that. It was at the Methodist Church on County Street, and I was inside. I heard that the protesters were outside. I went out. They were there, and they were chanting racist things. They had racist signs, and... Um, I'll never forget it because then Chief Teachman told me that nothing was happening. And uh, it, it, I guess he was concerned with the city's image. And I'll never forget that. I went back to my editors and said, the chief says nothing's happening, but something was happening. And uh, it was a, uh, a racist protest, and it was directly directed at Governor Deval Patrick, the first black governor of, of Massachusetts, who was uh, delivering the Martin Luther King Day uh, 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 speech. And now with this NSC-131, you know, they've made no bones about it. They are a neo-Nazi group. They've been showing up in Fall River and in Taunton, protesting the drag queen story time and uh, standing outside of libraries and, you know, full tactical gear and shouting things at the people that were going in. And now they're spreading these leaflets around at a time when we're also going to be dealing with a wave of anti-Semitism because of what's going on with uh, what's happening over in Israel. Yeah, it, I mean, they say that the uh, anti-Semitism is, is, is sharply on the rise. Uh, Islamophobia is on the rise. Um, certainly uh, traditional racism against, against people of color is on the rise. Uh, 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 discrimination against Asians is on the rise. It, it's really um, a distressing time. You hear rhetoric that we haven't heard since the 1930s when all these fascist and, and Nazi movements were... Uh, proliferating it's it's a um a worrisome time well why don't we take our next break here 508-996-0500 if you want to call on and chime in we'll be right back with more with <clears throat> welcome back in we are turning on the light with jack spillane of new bedford light and uh and of course you can check out all of his columns at newbedfordlight.org and that's where you can also find all the great reporting of the writers over there and you can read colin hogan's story today about how uh, Governor Healy has announced a new state police task force to investigate hate crimes. And what I found interesting about that story yesterday is, in addition to the governor talking about the need to clamp down on these hate crimes, the uh, interim colonel of the state police was doing the same thing. And the state police is not a liberal organization, usually, you know. And for them to talk about what a what a problem this is, it shows exactly how much of a problem this is. I think nobody wants to see hate crimes, no matter what their beliefs are. But the the situation is something that not every side takes as seriously as they should. Yeah, I think Massachusetts um, really does not want to get into the position that other states have gotten into, where it's become a real problem, where we've seen things like the, um, the slayings at the Jewish synagogue in Pittsburgh or uh, the ones in South Carolina at the AME Baptist Church, you know, we, we have a lower rate of gun violence here because we have very strict gun control laws, which I support. But but uh, uh, I don't think we just want to get into an atmosphere where it becomes acceptable to engage in some of this rhetoric um, in leafleting or things, as you said, that maybe are not hate crimes themselves, but are... are Those know, hate are, incidents, as they refer yeah. to them, yeah. Let's, uh, let's take a call here. Good morning. You're next with Jack Spillane. Hello. Hey, Tim and Jack. How are you today? Good. How are you? Jack, are you going to go tonight to the soiree? I am. I will see you there. Finally get to meet the great Jack Spillane. <laughs> oh, I'm not about the great, but you'll get to meet the Jack Spillane. Well, I'll get to figure that out after I meet you. So, anyway. 
um, you know, one thing I know you guys are bringing up leaflets and the traditional direction of white supremacist groups like skinhead Nazis and all that. But, you know, just, you know, there's with the college campuses and what's gone on with, between Israel and Palestine in the last uh, month and a half, um, college campuses are, are, are <laughs> producing more leaflets and signs than, uh, than skinheads as far as I'm concerned. Uh, when it comes to anti-Semitism, and um, and this stuff is also being taught at the school, you know, in you know could be in a subterfuge type way, or but you know you've got professors that are that are they've got a um, a tenure, they they're not afraid of their jobs, um, and they uh, they spew this stuff on a regular basis. So you know, there's more than just the leaflet skinhead type stuff. Um, when you've got to talk about the scope of what's going on with racism and anti-Semitism, et cetera, so. You know, I'm concerned about that as much because you're putting people on the street that have this in their head. Um, and uh, I mean, I would have been glad to see the the uh, Palestinian protests for Gaza prior to October 7th. You know, let's get the message out there. Let's do what we can do to help and and, you know, raise the people up. But, um, yeah, I was really shocked at, at what I was seeing after October 7th. Yeah, I, th I think anybody who is espousing violence on either side is wrong. Um, but we've had nothing but violence. Um, both the October seventh incident was terribly violent, and and the bombing afterwards has been uh, terribly violent. Um, you know, I uh, that's why diplomacy, I think, and and um, negotiations are the best way to. You know, they've talked about a political solution is the only solution. I, I personally believe in the two state solution. Um, but they they just don't seem to have been able to to get there, and I think that um, I think we have to get them there. But but certainly anybody, whatever your views are, uh, you should not be espousing violence. No, I, yeah, I agree. I agree with you, and uh, I just say that uh, you know the rising tide lifts all boats. Is I think that uh, prosperity on any level changes people's perspectives. So when you're not doing well, like a lot of people aren't doing well right now. Um, you know, they, uh, they, they're hating on life and then they look at people to blame. And then that's where the racism popped up. And some of these other things pop up is my life's not so good. It must be because somebody else is getting something. I'm not like, you know, aliens are coming in or whoever. And, uh, if this, uh, if this administration or the next one could focus on building prosperity, uh, to all, uh, equitably to all Americans, then what happens is people let that go and they, they focus on the good times, you know? So. Sure. Well, we will see you tonight. You betcha. And uh, you, you have bet. a good day. You bet. And Jack, I got to take the final break here. We'll okay. do that, and we'll be back in just a moment. And welcome back in, Jack. You had gotten some information uh, during the last segment. Yes. Um. Uh, Gilly Safiolis uh, texted me to let me know that um, Carlos Felix was not there at the beginning of the um, a kerfuffle or controversy, whatever it is that happened. Uh, with uh, Ian Abu and Linda Moore at the city council, he came afterwards. So Gilly had gone over to Ian's seat, but but not Carlos. So I just want to correct that. All right. Well, uh, what are you working on, Jack? I know it's a holiday week. Are you working on something? Yeah, I, ha I have um, uh, some post-election analysis, and um, I also have uh, a piece I'm working on about the opening of the Steeple Playhouse uh, uh, at the uh, First Baptist Church, which has been 10 years in the making. Yeah. It's really a great accomplishment. Looking forward to that. And, of course, we can talk more about that next week. And you can talk with Jack tonight at Knuckleheads from 5 to 8. We're going to be there hanging out 
hopefully all of you can come on by. We'll be downstairs. I know I said yesterday they were going to move us upstairs. Talked to Shaughnessy over there yesterday. She wants to move us downstairs so that we'll have some more room. And because I think there's going to be a lot of us. So uh, come on by. Check it out. It'll be happening from 5 to 8 at Knuckleheads 85 MacArthur Drive in New Bedford. Lots of parking there. A well-lit parking lot. It's a great place. Comfortable atmosphere. Uh, all kinds of... Uh, Great food on the menu, and of course, the drinks are very good as well, so have a few of those too if you'd like, and uh, we will certainly have a good time, hopefully.